I'm Jeff Gibson. And I'm Shanna Paxton. And we are the, the Movie, Movie Lovers. Lovers. Welcome. Hello. To the official podcast of the Gibson Review. In every episode, we start off with the weekend review, what movies and TV shows we've been watching since the last episode, move on to the main event, which is a main topic of discussion or main review, and then finish up with film faves, our respective list of our 12 favorite movies around a particular topic. In this episode, the main event will be a review of John Chu's In the Heights, an adaptation of Lin Man. Well, Miranda's smash play. Then we will also count down in film phase our 12 favorite musicals. Can't believe we haven't done that yet. So I'm really looking forward to diving into that list. But let's start off with the weekend review. Shanna, you have a bit of something that you have been chipping away at for it seems like forever that you finally finished. Why don't you tell everyone about that? All right. I am very excited to talk about this because I think I've been working on this ever since we got the HBO subscription. Yeah, probably actually HBO Max. Yeah. And so that's maybe been... Oh, wait, that would mean a year. Yeah. So, okay. It's not quite a year. It's more like three or four months. Really? It feels yeah. like a year. Oh, because you were like always watching it in the kitchen. No, that's Bones. I watch Bones in the kitchen because okay. that's on Amazon Prime, so it can be on the Echo. That's true. But this isn't Bones' time to shine. Yeah. This is Major Crimes with Mary MacDonald as Captain Raider. This show happens after The Closer that starred Kira Sedgwick. Your favorite show of yeah, all time. Like but, but now it's like Major Crimes, or maybe it's both. It's like it's the same thing, really. So. You know, so we have Mary McDonald as the main character. And then we have like the whole cast from The Closer. The only thing that changes from The Closer is Mary McDonald comes in. Oh, really? Yeah. And so we have G.W. Bailey as Lieutenant Provenza, Tony Dennison as Andy Flynn, Michael Paul Chan as Mike Tao, Raymond Cruz as Julio Sanchez, Philip Keen as Buzz Watson. And then we have a new character, Kieran Giovanni as Amy and she, uh, Amy Sykes. And she comes in right at the beginning. And then, you know, something that also comes from The Closer is Rusty Beck, played by Graham Patrick Martin, someone who was a very important witness for a very important case that the closer finished with and so it was nice that there was this case that kind of followed through with major crimes and you know we have other people like jonathan delacro as the doctor dr morales and then other people like kathy mazur as dda andrea hobbs and even fritz howard who was brenda's husband played by John Tini, he is in it as well. So it's very exciting. There's obviously new characters as well. This was six seasons over seven years between 2012 and 2018. And because it all got uploaded onto the subscription service, I was finally able to watch it because before, if I saw it live, it didn't make sense for me to watch it because I hadn't watched everything else. Hmm. And I have to tell you, when I started watching this show, I was like, oh, my God, 
I get to see all my favorites, all my favorite people. And it was like I was sitting with my family. It was so nice. I really, really loved it. Anyway, everyone's performances are great. Mary MacDonald is so amazing. She's like my favorite. And then all the character arcs that happen throughout the show. I mean, if you think about all the, the characters that I was with, in the closer, which I also think is seven seasons, you know, you've watched them from, if you watch them from episode one of the closer to the last episode of major crimes, the arcs that each character has taken is so wonderful. This is one of those crime shows that I really love. And they're really, they're not always, you're not, I think it's very rare that you see the crime being committed. So if you're squeamish, this is the perfect show for you because uh, you don't see a lot of that. Hmm. You're already seeing how they're solving it. And something that major crimes did that the closer didn't really do, unless it's been too long and I can't remember, uh, major crimes did these two-parters, four-parters, five-parters. So it was almost like they were doing mini movies, which I was like, ooh, so exciting. And so, of course, you know, our dog was injured and I have been home the last three and a half weeks and I got to do a lot of work from the computer uh, while caring for her and got to have this show running 24-7. So it really became a strong part of my routine. And now what I'm going to do is I'm going to watch from the very beginning. I'm going to watch The Closer all the way through Major Crimes and see how I feel. The way Major Crimes ended was bittersweet. I liked how some arcs ended, how some did not. And it, it was just, it was a little bit of bittersweet I mean if you've been with a show for this is basically 14 seasons being with all these characters then you know it's hard to say goodbye but I can tell you that if any of these actors between these two shows were at a comic-con or a something I would be going like I would need their signatures and everything I would need to meet them and I have met Mary McDonnell Mm -hmm. in person and she was just so wonderful and I spoke to her about how much I appreciated her role in The Closer and that I hadn't gotten to major crimes yet but she was so lovely and just said thank you so much I tried really hard to keep a balance and not take Kira Sedgwick's place but create my own but also fit in with the team and that was really nice to hear because you know Mary McDonnell I should say is also in a few episodes of The Closer I think at least probably like between 15 and 20 episodes sprinkled throughout the seasons and you know when you see her at first she's like Kira Sedgwick's character in that she knows the rules, she knows how to make the rules work for her, and she'll stick to that. And it becomes really difficult for the team, you know, because they're not used to that. So I really love this show, Major Crimes. I give it an 8 out of 10. I can't wait to start it all over again. (laughs) Okay. All right. Anything else you want to talk about? No, let's move on to what you what you're working on. You're working on a bigger project than me, or maybe it's about even. We should check the hours. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I haven't watched anything outside of Disney movies on my own. I don't think I, you know, doing the Disney through the years project, which you can check out at thegibsonreview.com. And I'm now in the '80s. I'm thankfully finally done with the 70s, which was a real 
chore to get through. That was a tough decade. But honestly, the 80s is... I don't know that the 80s are going to be that much easier, at least the first half of that decade, because it really was this dark and really tough period. I've already finished the animated films, and you can see them progress with each film through that. I, I definitely encourage check out my article about those 80s films where I review and rank them, but it's definitely interesting when you finally get to something like The Little Mermaid, how um, more apparent it is that that was a huge leap forward for them compared to everything they'd been done for really over a decade, you know, 20, 20 years even, nothing really compares. So now I'm working through the live action films and it's pretty tough. There's a lot that's not available of their live action films on Disney Plus or any other platform, which is really tough because I feel like that takes away from the overall picture of what that period looked like for them. But I'm going to do what I can. I've knocked out two. I'm on to Tron next. And uh, I think I have, I don't know, somewhere around six or eight movies left to knock out before I'll have that piece written. Well, do you know why they're missing hot, like so much of their stuff? Are they, is it tied up with other riots? Do they just, is it, does it have the Ku Klux Klan in it again? Or like, what <laughs> well, is happening? Obviously, that's not a problem because if you've read my 70s live action piece, you'll know that that, that there's that's something that was that showed up. I honestly have no idea because you can't even rent these movies on Amazon or anything. So they're not they're just flat out not available. We're talking movies like Watcher in the Woods and Something Wicked This Way Comes. It's a real bummer. But anyway, I'm working through that. And so you can keep uh, track of my progress at thegibsonreview.com. But we have, in terms of progress, we have a few 2021 movies to talk about that we've been catching up with because we will be talking about the year pretty soon here uh, since we're at the halfway point of the year. So let's start with the first movie being Sh Shiva Baby, an indie comedy that was kind of buzzing on social media it's uh by emma seligman about a jewish funeral service where a college student runs into her sugar daddy and other uncomfortable situations ensue many many uncomfortable situations indeed rachel <laughs> senate stars with danny de ferrari fred melamed Polly Draper and Molly Gordon as the principal cast. There's a lot of other ancillary characters in this. As you can imagine, it being a Jewish funeral service, this is a practically a single location film. I think actually it really is. I think it starts with them arriving at the funeral and ends with them leaving the funeral. So Well, there's one location in like in the beginning. Oh, yeah, yeah. You're, you're right about that. You're right about that. Yeah, that kind of sets the stage a little bit for later. It pays off later. Shannon, what did you think of Shiva Baby? I don't think you had even heard of this movie when I proposed we check it out. Was it something that was a that you were glad you were exposed to, or was it really hard to get through for you? I loved this film. I thought the uncomfortableness of it. I I was as uncomfortable as she was, or in 
you know, if there was uncomfortability for any other character in this film, which it doesn't really dive too much into, mm. uh, maybe like one other one. I love the idea. I loved, I, I could relate to some of it. You know, I'm not Jewish, but I can totally relate to everybody asking you, what are you doing? What are you doing next? How's that going? Oh, shame. Mm. Like, like just really getting in there. And I think it's a really interesting movie in that way because it's relentless mm -hmm. it does not stop mm -hmm. it's not just aunt margaret that's like that it's every single person yeah. you know and there's there isn't really any children in this film but if they were they'd probably be like that too because that is what the film is really good at is its relentlessness at wanting to know everything and not showing how these characters don't necessarily stop and pause and try to connect the dots of what's going on. Or if they do, it's they're connecting the incorrect dots. Mm. So I just found that all very interesting. And it's all such a tight space. I mean, like if I was this person in this situation, just the space alone would be killing me mm -hmm. because there's a lot of people at this event and everyone's on top of each other and everyone's, you know, fairly comfortable with each other. It also, maybe it's a post COVID thing for me. Mm -hmm seeing everyone so close together mm -hmm. <laughs> like after being used to six feet apart the set design is really easy mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. everything is echoing in the in the set design as you're walking as the characters are walking on the wooden floors uh it doesn't really seem like there's any room for privacy for even a thought a private thought so mm -hmm. i loved it i loved it you loved I, it i also liked how it ended I am really looking forward to whatever future projects this director, Emma Seligman, uh, has in the future. So I'm not really familiar with this director. I think, if I'm not mistaken, this is her feature debut. I'm not really familiar with the cast outside of Fred Milliman, who's a great who's a great character actor and a great addition to any project. I absolutely agree with you. This film has a suffocating, claustrophobic feeling to it where every noise, every conversation, every attention that the character is given is just repressive and, and, and incessant. I really think that Rachel Sennett is fantastic here, and I think that this could be a real great launching pad for uh, a fantastic career for her. I, I would love to see, to watch what else she does from here. I also really liked Molly Gordon, who is, let's say, a friend, a longtime friend of, of Rachel Sennett's character, very important to the story. There is, there is a baby. Though, Shannon, there is a baby. There is one baby. And yeah. that baby definitely adds to the claustrophobia and oh the suffocation. Gosh. And, and yeah. just this can't... Yeah, this this feeling. And I don't want to make it sound like this is a really hard, difficult movie to get through. Like, no. this is not Uncut Gems where I'm squirming in my seat to the <laughs> point where I cannot handle it anymore. But it does have that vibe to it. And it conveys it very well. So I give Shiva Baby... Probably at least a 7 out of 10. How about you? I give it a 9. I thought it Ooh. was pretty freaking good. All right. That's 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 great. Next is another indie comedy, Together Together, by director Nicole Beckwith, another female director. Uh, this one is about a young loner who becomes a, the gestational surrogate 
for a young man in his 40s. The two strangers come to realize this unexpected relationship will challenge their perceptions of connection, boundaries, and the particulars of love. It stars Ed Helms and Patty Harrison as the principal characters. And you get other appearances by people like Fred Melamed once again and Tig Notaro. Shannon, what did you think of Together Together and its unique uh, subject matter? It is no secret that I am pro-choice. And this is one movie that delivers pro-life in a really appealing, awesome way. Makes me see the other side a little bit. It kind of works out. It's someone who's in a situation it's working out for them. They can be pro-life in this situation. Yes, she's a surrogate, but they have this really unique conversation about life, pro-life. And I just thought it was, it wasn't uncomfortable. It wasn't aggravating. It wasn't angering. It was just, hey, I hear what you're saying. And mm. from that to other conversations about the desire to be a father without having a relationship with um, a woman or another man was just so interesting. It's unique in that way, Mm. right? I don't know. Maybe there's another film out there that's dealing with this sort of topic, but I don't know about it. And I'm really glad that this one came to the forefront because hearing what this man had to say and still seeing that he was still a little awkward about parenting Mm -hmm. was really nice. You know, you can look after as many children as you want and you can babysit the nephew and you can, you know, take out the friend's kid for ice cream. Nothing is going to complete your experience by the time you have your own kid in whatever way that is. Mm -hmm. And so seeing him be awkward was was really lovely with that, Mm -hmm. Um, but also joyous and excited about the idea of having a baby of his own. And I really liked it. I loved his. I, I loved what he was going through, and I loved how how she was trying to deal with that. Mm. You know, at times it felt like painful or boundaries weren't being respected, but they were both trying to figure it out in a respectful way. And I really appreciated the film for that. So, this movie is unique because of the two different perspectives that it provides. One, we do not see a single man in their 40s trying to figure out a way to be a father without being involved in a relationship with someone. And I feel like the material definitely handles that well. Also, we don't get movies that really speak to the surrogate's experience and how Mm. weird and sometimes ostracizing or uncomfortable that experience can be in a variety of different situations for that person. The central conflict in the movie comes with the boundaries that are definitely being broken and, and, being blurred to non-existence right without without that element which i understand can make some people uncomfortable like it's supposed to it's it's like without that you don't really have a movie and it leads yeah. 
to other issues of, well, like, this is supposed to be a temporary situation. Like, it's going to be, if they keep breaking boundaries and hang out all the time, if they become, like, essentially BFFs, like, that's going to be really hard when the birth happens, right? And what happens when the birth happens? And I feel like this movie handles all of those questions, all of these ideas and issues very delicately and very interestingly. And I was very taken by this film. I laughed a lot through it, but I and I winced a lot through it, and I really felt for both characters equally. I don't think either character really gets shafted or the movie really takes a particular side between the two characters. So mm. uh, I definitely highly recommend Together Together, a little movie that's kind of going under the radar of, I think, most people. Uh, I give the film that film an 8 out of 10. I do as well. Excellent. So the next movie that we caught up with was... I Care A Lot on Netflix. This is a film that I think was intended to go to theaters, was released on Netflix. It might have still been released to a handful of theaters. It is supposedly a comedy crime film by Jay Blakeson, who's a director I'm not familiar with, about a crooked legal guardian who drains the savings of her elderly wards and then meets her match when a woman she tries to swindle turns out to be more than she first appears. It stars Rosamund Pike and Peter Dinklage, as well as Diane Weist, Chris, Chris Messina, uh, and Aiza Gonzalez. Shanna, uh, this is a fairly divisive film, I believe, that's gotten moderately positive reviews. What was your experience with... I care a lot. I know you're a big fan of Rosamund Pike in Gone Girl, and there's been a lot of comparisons between the two characters here. Well, and I'm even a bigger fan of Diane Weist. I absolutely adore that woman. Mm. I think she is a fantastic actress. You know, she kind of falls on the same radar for me of Mary MacDonald. I'm like, well, what is she working on next? What can I see next of her? I can't get enough of her. I, I just think there's just so much poise and energy that... Diane Weist radiates. Mm -hmm. And then when I saw Peter Dinklage was in it, I was like, wait, what? This is going to be fun. You know, I can't wait to see what he does or what, you know, everybody does with him in the mix mm -hmm. and the kind of character he was portraying. I had very back and forth feelings about this film. Like at one point, it was very ping pong. I was like, no, ping pong's not the word. The word is somebody pulling on a scale. Uh, a balance scale you know like at one point i was like yes let's do this and then i was like wait what what are you doing oh mm -hmm. no so there was a lot of like yes and no options happening in my head mm. because i wanted it to go a certain way and then it wouldn't go that way and then i was like okay that's fine that's fine it's, 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 it's a surprise it's a surprise mm -hmm. and then i was like i don't like that surprise <laughs> so yeah yeah there were lots of little things happening that i could react to uh-huh and at the same time, you very quickly identify what kind of character everyone is. Okay. Except for Diane Weist, it takes a little while to figure her out, I uh -huh. felt. On purpose, yes. Yes. But uh, there were certain points where I was like, there's no fucking way that would happen, you know? And I just thought that that was very aggravating 
but also interesting. Like mm. maybe they were doing that on purpose, mm. but I wasn't so into it because at one point with the Peter Dinklage character, I was like, no, no, that wouldn't even be an option, <laughs> you know, mm. whatever was happening. Mm. So Interesting. Well, I found the first half hour of this film absolutely infuriating mm. and i was i was thinking oh my god i don't know if i'm going to be able to get through this movie uh, <laughs> you know I, I still have 90 minutes left to go of this and then and then peter dinklage comes on and i feel like oh okay all right i get a bit <laughs> of a reprieve and i think oh this is going to be delicious i'm going to it's love be so satisfying this and then the movie doesn't become the satisfying story I expect it to be. Within all of this, though, this film also has a message about how easy it is to take control of seniors' lives, which is very troubling and very upsetting and very disturbing. And and maybe that is somewhat valid to mm. express that. But this film suffers from extremely muddled sympathies in with who, who with with its characters and its message overall i really battled with this film after a certain point because mm, mm-hmm. it, it it seems to be confused we're dancing around some halfway point twists in the film that really ah uh, hmm yeah, it's really where the you problems really come need, from. You really do need a spoiler conversation about this film. So Yeah, in, in terms of why the film becomes troubling and uncomfortable in terms of like where it sits for you. So I give mm-hmm. the film a 6 out of 10. I, I really had some serious problems with what the film was trying to... I felt manipulated. Like I'm, I'm, it was trying to get me to sympathize with someone who is who at that point was made completely unsympathetic. And I feel like it's very mixed in and unsure what it's trying to say. I think, you know, if anything, it's just this huge PSA, like, please protect your folks is how I'm seeing it. Because Mm. if, if there is any inkling of truth Mm -hmm. to this, it's not good. I can tell no. you that I want my parents under the same roof as me. Yeah, it's <laughs> so scary. Like going to keep them close. Nothing's going to happen. Mm-mm. Yeah, it's scary. What do you so, what's what do you score the film? I probably a five. I love the cast, but wasn't a big fan of the writing. Yeah. I think there was something special here, and it didn't quite land. Right. Lastly, we finally caught up with Coming to America, the sequel to coming to america it's very confusing very confusing titling um <laughs> john landis comedy starring eddie murphy arsenio hall james earl jones and a bajillion other people this it basically has the exact same cast from the first film everybody in the first film shows up again And every character from the first film shows up again here. This time it's about Eddie Murphy's character uh, finding out that he has a son. He doesn't have a son. He doesn't have someone to continue the bloodline or uh, the rule, no heir to the throne. And he finds out he has an illegitimate son uh, through wacky means. And he goes back and tries to uh, back back to New York 
and tries to uh, bring his son back. Jenna, what did you think of Coming to America? You were not a big fan of the original film. You didn't even really want to watch the original one to refresh your memory watching this one. No, I have no interest in the original. The reason I wanted to watch Coming to America Two was because I happened to go to college for one year with someone who worked on some of the costume designing. La Duma of Makosa, Africa, who is a wonderful, very popular knitwear uh, designer in South Africa, known across the world, ready for his designs. And he did some consulting with them. I went to school with him and I saw in some of the in the trailer and some of the adverts I saw his work and I was like yes I must watch this I did not like the first movie but because La Duma had his work in there I was like must go see now so okay I was excited to see his pieces he has a very unique design that really honors uh, African heritage, uh, South African heritage, especially the Corsa culture. And I really appreciated seeing that because I think that's kind of what it lacked in the first film. In the first film, they, they are leaving the African continent, coming to America to see what's over there. But I just felt like, you know, we needed more rich tones. And in the first one, they end with pastel colors. And I'm like, no, <laughs> that would not be happening. Well, it's very and, 80s. Uh, this film really gets... Everything that I had wrong, felt that was wrong with the first one, they get right in this one. So Mm. I was happy about that. I was happy to see so many black actors on screen. And it was really fun how they kind of weaved them all together. And that was great. And it it was nice to see Eddie Murphy again. You know, haven't seen him in a long time. Yeah. Well, we haven't seen him in a long time that's remotely this good. Look, this movie I didn't think was necessary ahead of time. I wasn't really looking forward to this movie. You know, it's a uh, 30-year-old-plus-year-old film. Do we really need a sequel to it? And it just felt like it's career revival for Eddie Murphy. And it is. He is very good in this. He is fun in this but and it's not a bad it's not a bad movie i enjoyed i was surprised how much i laughed at this uh film during this film Mm. but it is the worst kind of fan service imaginable in that it literally like honestly i feel like you need to watch the original before you watch this film to refresh your memory because of all the things that it tries to reference. I mean, there's at one point a girl who is barking, and I'm like, what is that about? And it took me till the movie actually showed me and reminded me, like, why that girl was barking. If I had watched the original more recently, I would I would get all those jokes, right? Mm-hmm. It's a very odd thing to have so much fan service to a comedy. You know, not, not a franchise film, not a fantasy, not, I don't know sci-fi or whatever a, a, just a one-off comedy it's very weird to have uh, so much fan service devoted to it and that's basically what it is and some of it works and some of it doesn't wesley snipes i'm going to give him a call out he's amazing in this film love wesley snipes he was amazing in this film and he was amazing in dolmite is my name also with eddie murphy <laughs> eddie murphy was also great in that film so eddie murphy has definitely like decided to come out, come out of his house 
he's done raising his kids and he's like i'm i'm going to do some shit now and it's not going to be crap anymore i will give him credit there but i do give coming to america probably a six out of ten how about you oh it'd be, be a five. Oh, really even though you liked it more than the first film it still had problems i'm not gonna go into the problems mm. it's predictable it is definitely for predictable sure. for sure yeah you know, th- look, there are funny moments. Mm-hmm. I-, I spoke a lot about the costuming because that's where I'm coming from as yeah. a fan. But there were funny moments and uh, there were still problems. Yeah, definitely. So that's coming to America and our week in review. Now it's time to move on to the main event, which is our review of In the Heights. What does Juanito mean? Suenito. It means little dream. That's it? No story? All right, all right, everybody sit down, sit down. It's a story of a block that was disappearing. In un barrio called Washington Heights. The streets were made of music. I am Usnavi, and you probably never heard my name. Reports of my fame are greatly exaggerated. Morning, Usnavi. Pan caliente, cafe con leche. On these blocks, you can't walk two steps without bumping into someone's big plan. I'm making moves, I'm making deals, but guess what? What? You still ain't got no skills. <laughs> I've been saving up all my pennies in my piggy bank for this day. This is going to be an emotional roller coaster. The odds are against you. But there's a chance, right? A dream isn't some sparkly diamond. There's no shortcuts. Sometimes it's rough. Yeah, I'm a street light choking on the heat. They're talking about kicking out all the dreamers. But every day is different, so it's time to make some noise. We had to assert our dignity in small ways. Just listen. Little details that tell the world we are not invisible. Ignore anyone who doubts you. And that was from the trailer to In the Heights, directed by John Chu, who is well known or best known for such movies as Crazy Rich Asians, <laughs> Justin Bieber's uh, concert film Never Say Never, and the Step Up series, as well as G.I. Joe Retaliation, believe it or not. So he's had a, definitely a mixed career here. But this is a film version of the Broadway musical by Lin-Manuel Miranda in which Asnavi, a sympathetic New York bodega owner, saves every penny every day as he imagines and scenes about a better 
Life. It stars Anthony Ramos, Melissa Barrera, Leslie Grace, Corey Hawkins, Olga Moretes, Jimmy Smith, Gregory Diaz, the fourth, Daphne Rubin Vega, Stephanie Beatriz, and of course, Lynn Manuel Miranda. There's a few others in there. It's a pretty big cast, most of which I was unfamiliar with. But before we dive in, it's important to note when we review a film, we first focus on the good, what we liked about a movie, what worked for us, what were its strengths before moving on to the bad, what didn't work for us, what were a film's weaknesses. Then we weigh whether or not the good outweighed the bad and move on to spoilers and final thoughts. Okay, so Shanna, Within the Heights, you know, this is a movie that was supposed to come out last year. This is considered a post-pandemic film, trying to bring people back to the theaters, even though it is part of Warner Brothers' plan of simultaneously releasing on HBO Max during 2021 all of its its movies. Uh, First of all, are you glad that we finally got to see this a year later. Is this a breath of fresh air after the pandemic? And are you glad you saw it in the theater rather than at home? I am absolutely excited that I got to see it in the theater because this is really a community project. You know, this is all about, this is a film all about community, all about friendships, all about relationships that are significant to us as we're going through the process of life. And to be able to also watch it with our friends, we got to go watch this with our friends who are big mm. Lin-Manuel Miranda fans. Yeah, musical fans, yeah. Yeah, and so just being able to do that, have that theater experience. It's the first one we've gone to go watch with friends. Yep. Have that theater experience back was great. It was a pretty empty screening, I felt. Did you look behind us? Yeah, behind us, there were roughly 10 people in total. Part of that is because of social distance blocking that theaters are doing when you uh, pick seats, where if, let's say, two of you are together, two seats on either side of you are blocked out. So it really limits the amount of people that can purchase tickets. I felt like the theater wasn't as alive as it could have been, but I'm really glad that we watched it with our friends because that really changed the experience and everybody gets to sit comfortably. I mean, our house is not set up to have people over for movies in a comfortable way. Right. Uh, I can provide the popcorn with butter and coconut oil and it's divine and delicious, but I mean, that's all I can do, you know? Do you think that it being released on HBO Max affected its theatrical performance? It's entirely possible. You know, people have had huge changes during COVID times. People don't necessarily have the income they had prior to quarantine. Hmm. And if, you know, $15 a month for a subscription service versus... 20 to 60 dollars for a day out to go see the film Mm -hmm. it like do the math who's gonna do what right right, right. so i do think they need a transition away from that but that being said i mean away from which to be clear away from putting their stuff on the subscription service they need to move away from that otherwise the theaters are gonna die yeah we need community yeah you know but i get it also because some people aren't able to go out yet sure you know yeah 
So, okay. Let, that said, let's talk about what you liked about In the Heights. I did dance for a couple years in high school. And so I have a deep appreciation for choreography. Hmm. And the choreography in this film was just magnificent. And the set designs, the lighting, everything worked with the choreography. Uh, we know that from the trailer, there's a dance number that happens in a, you know, a recreational pool mm-hmm. area. And that was just stunning to see that on the big screen, to hear all the, the, the little splashing sound effects was just wonderful. Mm-hmm. So the performances were great. The singing was awesome. I loved what the story was about. I loved seeing all our different characters, what they were dealing with, and the the little arcs that they were going through. I thought this was a fantastic film. It was totally worth putting my money on. In terms of the direction, have you seen the Step Up movies? I've seen one and two, I believe. Okay, so... Definitely one. How were those movies, in terms of the direction and all that sort of... Because those are dance movies, right? Yeah. Okay, so how were those movies compared to In the Heights? Uh, what did you oh. think of John Chu as a director? Has he grown from those movies, or did you see a lot of similarities? Well, did he do one and two, or did as, he do three? Uh, or did he do all of them? Like, well, <laughs> How I don't many know. are there, for crying out loud? I thought they were four or five, oh, but my I could be wrong. God, all in the theaters? I don't know about that. That's crazy. Let me look real quick here. He did Step Up 2 and 3. Oh, well, I think he's growing very well then. I, I think he's doing fantastic. They were beautiful scenes. We also know in the trailer that there's a scene where a couple is dancing against a wall, uh-huh. doing a little inceptioning over there. <laughs> uh, and that was, I thought that was beautifully done. So I really love that he played with that. Mm-hmm. And... I love that there were so many people. It was so nice. Again, maybe it's this this whole quarantine thing, but there's very few things that are as satisfying as like a hundred people dancing at once, mm-hmm. all choreographed perfectly, mm-hmm. having a great time. Mm-hmm. And that was like a bit of my favorite in this film was the you know the water dancing as as all the editing that involved in that number and and then how how there were so many people incorporated in the film during the dance numbers. So there's I found a lot to appreciate in this film. First of all, I think John Chu is an incredible visual stylist. I think you you kind of get a little bit of the hmm the pizzazz, so to speak, in Crazy Rich Asians. I have not seen the Step Up movies he's done, but I have seen the G.I. Joe sequel he did. I've seen Crazy Rich Asians, and I've seen, uh, obviously, In the Heights. This and Crazy Rich Asians are his best films compared to G.I. Joe's sequel, I can say. And and you can see him growing as a director, and maybe part mm-hmm. of that's budget, too. I don't know what the budget is of this film, but... He does some really impressive and really fantastic, dazzling, feel-good stuff. He executes everything really well. Everything that you're talking about mm-hmm. with the dancing I and the choreography, I completely 
agree with. We should probably credit the choreographer too. You can look that up because that is definitely something that's necessary to, to give credit where credit's due. I think what John Chu does with the camera often is really impressive and, and really interesting. The choreographer for In the Heights is Christopher Scott. What else has he done? Other things that I think is fantastic is honestly, well, the music too. It's an interesting blend of rap and Latin music. Often maybe a little salsa too thrown in there. It's fantastic uh, music. That said, I was hard pressed to remember any of the songs after the fact. Uh, I took you to name a couple titles for me and be like, oh, yeah, 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 that was a good song. Oh, yeah, 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 that was a good song. But none of them really stood out to me. The story is uh, a really great story in the sense that you have here the immigrant experience depicted in this film and how, like, Sometimes the immigrants get entrenched in in economic situations in our country. Uh, sometimes they get entrenched in the system as well. And as such, they get denied certain opportunities because of either of those two things. Did you find um, his, uh, his other choreography work? Yeah, so obviously he's there for In the Heights, something called The Christmas Chronicles, part two. I don't know what that is, but things that we would know is Now You See Me 1, Now You See Me 2, Teen Beach 1 and 2. Oh, yes, I'm a big Teen Beach fan. I know all the (laughs) Teen Beach movies. As well as Dancing with the Stars, America's Best Dance Crew, the, Leg- the Legion of Extraordinary Dancers, the TV show. I think that's, uh, I, I have a little bit of familiarity with that. Um. And yeah, it looks like he works very closely with John Chu. Oh, really? Okay. Well, yeah, Dancing with the Stars. A lot of TV dance shows and stuff. Uh, and uh, John Chu's also done Jim and the Holograms, which I did not see. Mm. So yeah, the story is really great. You even see a circumstance where one person recognizes how privileged she is with the opportunities that's given to her compared to someone else she knows who is denied possibilities because of his circumstance. And we can talk more about that in spoilers if you'd like. But I thought all of that gave, added to a rich experience. Was there anything else you wanted to check off or that you liked about the movie before we talk about the bad? I love that this was multi-generational immigrants. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, first gen... So, different aged immigrants versus first generation American, second, third. That was all very interesting and the incorporation of the dreamers as well. Uh, it, all important stuff. And just... Hearing the struggles, seeing the struggles, hearing this, also experiencing the joy, but also the guilt and also the when you're here, you want to be there kind of experience, which is incredibly relatable. Sometimes it's just a process and sometimes it, it takes up your whole, you know, experience of life. So I appreciated all the little notches that they were hitting about the immigrant experience. Yeah, 100%, definitely. I also just want to give a quick shout-out to some of the cast members. This is 
a, a really great cast, both the ones I'm not familiar with and the ones that I am. I really appreciated that, yes, the story focuses mostly on the younger cast, but the older cast members also get moments to shine like Olga Maridas and Daphne Rubin Vega and Jimmy Smith's while he doesn't necessarily get a song himself he does have moments to shine in it and separate from that I love seeing Stephanie Beatrice on screen I'm always interested in seeing her outside of Brooklyn Nine-Nine she has a, a supporting character role here not a lot of time is given to her, but she is in many of the scenes and, uh, and she's, she's a lot of fun to see in the film. There is a unrecognizable Mark Anthony, who is a shell of himself at one point in this film. Uh, I was very impressed with that, but Melissa Barrera and Anthony Ramos are awesome in this. And I want to definitely learn more about them. Let's talk about the bad. What didn't work for you, Shanna, about In the Heights? Or was this a absolutely flawless film? It was a pretty perfect film. I had one thing that I wasn't entirely satisfied with. And unfortunately, it's something that has to be talked about in spoilers with regards to the end. Okay. And But otherwise, I was pretty happy. I felt like... I felt like West Side Story, we don't need another West Side Story. This is better than West Side Story, you know. Mm. And it was just so, I don't really have anything bad to say about this film. <laughs> you know? I, I loved all the characters that were main, side, I, in between. I I loved the choreography, blah, 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 blah. But, you know, I've said everything again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't really have anything bad to say about this film. Okay. Except one thing in spoilers. Two thing, Two criticisms I'll give this film. First of all... During the first half of this film, I was like, wow, like, this is great. This is great. This is great. All these elements are really great, except I'm not really feeling the characters breathe. I'm not really feeling an emotional connection to these characters. They're all I feel like I'm constantly distracted with these these songs and dance numbers and everything felt like a little bit emotionally distanced. But thankfully, that changed for me. After the first hour, probably, granted, this is a two and a half hour movie. So, uh, you know, maybe it wasn't quite that long, but it felt like the second half is when it shifted. Uh, I definitely felt connected after the sec- during the second half of the film as opposed to the first half. My only, go- mm. did you have a response to that? I, I just saw it as, a, you know, musicals, they take a while to set up. So really? I, okay. I hear you when you say you didn't feel a connection instantly with with characters, but I also kind of am fine with it. Okay, so you felt Because the of the genre it is. You felt the same way, but you were more patient with it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I figured they were just setting up their characters. Okay. Uh, my only other criticism is a scene that you referenced earlier where two characters are on a fire escape and it inverts and they end up dancing along the side of that building. It's a really cool idea, much like how like one character is dreaming and we zoom out of her eye. Mm. You know, it's a really cool idea. There's a lot of really cool ideas. That particular scene, I feel like didn't quite get executed in a way that 
looked 100% real. It, it, I think that is the one moment that's going to date really fast because I could see, oh, this is CGI somehow. I don't know how, I don't know where they made the cut in this because it's seamless, but it's very CGI looking. I think the CGI, I could be wrong. I think the CGI is coming from the sky and the lighting that they're trying to do mm. because at some, at certain points, you do see practical. Like mm. there was a set that got built uh, that was a wall and basically got put down. Mm-hmm. You know, like you see her sitting on the, f- uh, f- uh, what fire is it? the fire escape and she scoots back on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. That looked super practical. That uh-huh. was like, oh, they built a set. Fantastic. Yeah, but okay. when they start putting in the glowy light that isn't actually glowy light. Yeah. The then, unnatural natural light. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Those, I think those are really my only uh, major issues with the film. Mm. I was won over by this, honestly. Uh, Was there anything else that you want to speak to before we kind of weigh whether or not the good outweighs the bad? No. Okay. So let's do that. Shanna, what, what, uh, what did you think of the film? What do you score it? It was really good. I would, you know, the age that I am right now, I score it an eight. But like if I was in my early 20s where I was definitely more into musicals, I'd like be saying it's a 10. So I think that's an important factor, too. So the average of your score would be a nine then between an eight and a 10. <laughs> okay, fine. <laughs> um, fine. No, I'm playing. Uh, uh, yeah, seriously. No, uh, really, really, maybe it is worth a nine. Really? Because... It's a good story. It's dealing with important issues. It's mm-hmm. incredibly relatable. You do not have to be Puerto Rican or of island descent to to understand what these characters are going through. It definitely is a film that hopefully helps you understand as a white person, you know, and as we are you know, these experiences, these people's experiences. And that's, that's a great thing. Uh, so I, I completely agree with you there. Uh, I'm reluctant to give it a nine out of 10, but I, so I'll definitely give this film an eight out of 10, one of the best movies of the year for sure. So from here, let's talk a little bit more about whatever else we need to talk about. Spoiler wise, if you hasn't, haven't seen the film, we definitely recommend you go to the theater, check it out, go with friends, go on a date night, whatever you can, have a great time with it, rather than uh, streaming on HBO Max. It is definitely a one for the big screen. Uh, quite dazzling and a great time. Uh, if you haven't seen the movie yet, skip ahead to Film Faves. Look for the timestamp in the show notes. But if you have, join us. We're about to talk spoilers for In the Heights, starting now. Okay, so I loved how this film concluded. So at the end of this film, Usnavi is is going to leave to go back to the Dominican Republic, but I, I believe it's Vanessa. Um, looking, yes, Vanessa. Vanessa creates something that convinces him to stay. And that is she, you know, her and, oh, golly, two of the friends, Sonny and the spray painting guy. Mm-hmm. Graffiti. Uh, I think Graffiti Pete. Graffiti Pete. So uh, they basically give the store a little workover and make it 
turn it into the Dominican Republic from how he remembered it mm. with uh, painting and a little bit of styling and things like that. And Vanessa comes out of her creative rut. Mm-hmm. And yep. he is basically convinced to stay. And then we flash forward, basically forward, you know, come back to real time. And we see him talking to the kids and he's been talking to the kids this whole time in his store because the store has now finally felt it reached a place where it finally felt like he was in the Dominican Republic, the best parts of it, you know? And it turns out that he has a daughter with Vanessa and uh, everybody comes back together basically and is dancing in the street again. And that's kind of how it ends. Yes. What was it about that, that you're bringing up? What I had an issue. The one issue I had with this film was, we don't see I don't I don't get a sense of where Benny and Nina end up. Oh because okay. how I understood it was Nina would go finish at Stanford and then she would come back. Yeah. That's how I understood it. Yeah. And I did not see any sign of that. And I just needed something to know where they were, to know they were okay. Are they still together? Because I did begin to care about them, Mm. you know, and they were relatable when Benny's like, oh my God, you're only going away until Thanksgiving, which is basically what you're like when I need to go away somewhere. You're like, oh, you're only going for three days. And I was like, oh, that is so relatable. And I just felt really empty Hmm. with that part of the characters because I wanted to know what happened. Okay. And I did not get a sense of what happened there. So that was the only issue I had with this film. Okay. That's, that's fair. I I, I could see that. I don't really have much of a response to that in, in defense of it without seeing it again and really looking at that. But yeah, I could see where you're coming from there. Let's talk about Abuela. Shall we? Yeah, because we haven't really talked enough about her. Yeah, Abuela Claudia. I gave Olga Marita some credit in the non-spoiler section. She is this woman who chose not to have kids, and she kind of like took on this this block as like as their abuela, right? She's not literally their abuela, but she is their abuela figure, right? Which is in is English essentially like um, a grandmother or an aunt. I can't remember which one. It's grandma. Grandma. Okay, cool. Thank you. Very good. And, you know, she's kind of the supporting character. She's kind of going to go with Usnavi and his dream back to the Dominican Republic and stuff. And she has this scene. And I don't know if this is exactly where it really changed for me or if it changed before this. But holy hell, she gets her own song where... There's the blackout. There's a blackout that occurs. This whole movie is counting down to this blackout, which, you know, you might be able to dissect whether or not that construction works or not. But this whole movie is kind of counting down to this blackout. This blackout occurs. Some of the community comes to her apartment to gather and kind of be safe and everything and, you know, light candles or, or, or the like. And she goes, she's laid down to bed to rest and, she has this scene where she's singing about her mom, her mom's journey, the dreams that she's taken on from her mom. And it goes through more or less her life and her experience as an immigrant 
in New York and whether or not she's ready to to go or stay. <clears throat> I'm trying to keep it together here too. I know. That's why right? I'm like barely speaking. Uh, and it is incredibly powerful. She has wonderful chops. It's it's just a, a such a, a highlight of the film, an emotional highlight of the film. There were sniffs, there were tears in the theater after that scene. Oh, yeah. Like, I didn't hear the rest of the audience, but when that part happened, I heard the rest of the audience. Right. That's when I heard them. So it was it was very powerful. And, you know, it's her experience as a child immigrant, you know? Yeah. Which can be really difficult. And, uh, you know, everything has its, its advantages and disadvantages. And I thought the way that she sang about it was just beautiful yeah 100 percent. and the same thing with the salon shop owner who who's leaving the heights because of gentrification another thing this movie uh touches on and mm-hmm. is is it sounds like it's really important to uh to the immigrant experience in new york as well which is really great to to see depicted the way it is but she has to move her shop and like no one's wishing her well, no one's seeing her off because they're all like sweating and it's like 106 and they're like, oh, <laughs> poor me, how I'm suffering and stuff. And she has a song that's like, wake up, you know, <laughs> and get your shit together. And, and, you know, we've been through worse as a community and, and all this. And that's a fantastic uh, piece as well. It brings everybody together. And Stephanie Beatrice is a good, uh, strong part of that as well. Um, just really, those two were were real big highlights for me, as well as the swimming pool sequence was like, holy crap, what mm. they're doing here is amazing. Mm-hmm. I'm just kind of going off, like, checkmarking, of, oh, these are my favorite scenes. But really what I want to point out here, one I wanted to point out in more detail in spoilers is Leslie Grace's character, Nina Rosario. She is the daughter of Jimmy Smith's character, Kevin Rosario. Jimmy Smith's character owns a uh, transportation dispatch. like dispatch business, right? And he sold half of that business already to allow her to go to Stanford. And she kind of made the decision not to continue because of how expensive it was going to be. And really, Jimmy Smith's being a Latino father is like, this is like my job. This is my decision. You don't get. And he sold the business to try to to give her opportunity. Well, it's revealed later that it was more than that. Why she didn't want to continue at Stanford. It is. It is. Yes. Do you want to speak to that? Not only was she lacking community. But she was also being accused of something by her roommate. Mm-hmm. The roommate had a pearl necklace that went missing and she got searched. Yeah. And just how mortifying is that? Mm. And she spoke about her experience of it. Not only was this a mortifying thing that happened to her, but she apologized about it when it had nothing to do with her. Yeah. And so it spoke very strongly about this, this just this horrible conditioning that not only a woman has gone through, but, a, you know, a Puerto Rican woman. Mm-hmm. Yes. Thank you for bringing that up because that's really powerful. So she actually rejects her dad's money. 
But then she's at a dreamer's protest. I feel like we're supposed to know who the politician is in that scene, and I didn't. But she's at this dreamer's protest. And the uh, guy that she's with, uh, Sonny, who's like, I don't know, he's 15 or something? Yeah, he looks about 15. They actually say his name or his age, I mean, and I can't remember what it was. He's with her her at this protest and something is said that makes him understand oh like if you're not a documented immigrant then you can't go to college and it's revealed that he is an undocumented immigrant he's a he's a, a dreamer which is why the cause about dreamers is so special or so personal for him and means a lot for him um but that realization about him makes her realize how privileged she is and how it is possible for some immigrants to be more privileged than other uh, other immigrants. And she realizes, she comes to realize, okay, well, I have an opportunity. I'm going to take that opportunity. I'm going to do something with it. And I really appreciated that little plot moment with her and I especially moment uh, re- appreciated the character moment between her and Jimmy Smith when she comes to him and talks to him about this because he says, wow, this is the moment where you do better than me. This is this is extraordinary. And it's very touching. And I'm like trying not to get choked up while, <laughs> while talking about it, right? Well, it's, it, what a beautiful way to be a father too, mm. to acknowledge that his child is going to do better than him because that's, that's ultimately what we want, yeah. you know? For sure. Uh, so that was something else that I really appreciate in the film. Just the way it kind of touches in various different ways on immigrant experiences and immigrant challenges and, and different nuances therein. Was there anything else that you wanted to speak to in spoilers? You know, this is a very creative film because not only, not only is this story dealing with different themes, different situations... And different challenges the way it's being told is fairly unique we start out at a beautiful beach in what appears to be the dominican republic and we end in a store that just has the essence of that and in between all of that we have gorgeous dance numbers that are some of the best dance numbers you know in uh musical films and not only are these stories told through song, but they're told through dance, they're told through looks, they're told through uh, different choices with visual, visual techniques. Mm-hmm. When our main character, Usnavi, is mentioning the people that brought him to where he is today, he, he looks you know, kind of into the distance and all the key players in his life are there on the beach with him. And if you're into visualization, if you're into meditation, a lot of people can relate to that kind of image. And the fact that it's there in a movie that is wildly distributed is just wonderful. So I I mean, I, I can't say enough good things about this film, apparently. All right. And I can't either, but can you say enough good things about <laughs> In the Heights? Feel free to email us your thoughts at thegibsonreview at gmail.com. 
But now it is time to move on to our final segment, Film Faves, where we count down our respective lists of our 12 favorite movies around a particular topic. Uh, this actually was inspired by a segment or a feature on the Gibson Review blog many years ago. Uh, the idea is to not only give you a sense of our taste in film, but hopefully expose you to some titles you haven't seen or heard of before. Now, the way we try to do that is also trying to include where you can find these films to stream. There's a lot of subscription platforms out there, but we focus on Netflix, Amazon Prime, Apple TV+, Disney+, HBO Max, and Hulu. If a movie is on those platforms, we will let you know. Often, you can just rent these films on Amazon, but subscription services are fun. So this time we're talking about musicals. Now, Shanna, I can't believe we've never done this subject before. I, I actually had to search on the blog to make sure we haven't done musicals before. And I think maybe we've done something like of the decade or something like that. Maybe. But uh, that makes more sense. Yeah. Maybe, but I'm not even sure that's correct because this past decade didn't have a lot of musicals per se. So tell us a little bit about your experience with your background with musicals and your experience making this list. So as I said earlier, I have had experience with dance and doing recitals at the end of the year. And I had a fantastic teacher, Anila Halliday of the Halliday Dance Academy, and she just made everything so fun for a geek like me. You know, one year was the TV show Tableau, and I missed that year. But basically what she did was she took TV shows and she, you know, took the song from that TV show and you got to do a dance to it. And the, the year that was my favorite was movies. And she took musical movies and you know something like Grease we had three dance numbers and something like Fiddler on the Roof my brother was the main character in Fiddler on the Roof Tevia Tevia and it was just so much fun being on stage with with that kind of format and uh, I got really obsessed with musicals from about age 15 to 19. And then, you know, I kind of overdid it. So I took a break. And when coming up with this list, I found it really difficult to do because it was like, well, what has been overplayed in my head? You know, we're focusing on live action. We're not doing animation. So that changes things significantly for me. Mm -hmm. You know, whereas something that might have been in the top three would have been perhaps Lion King, Little Mermaid, Moana now don't qualify for this list. Yeah, so maybe it, spoilers for your future Disney animated movie <laughs> list. Well, who knows? <laughs> so it, it, it was a little hard to do. And it's like, okay, well, uh, some movies might have just been overplayed in my head, you know, in my childhood. Do they still make the list or am I sick of them? Um, and it became, I have a very particular, I'm either going to love it or I'm not kind of approach to this list i think as we reveal our list though it would be great if we said what our favorite musical number or favorite song is from each movie that we mention okay 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 there was another idea i had and i'm trying to remember it as you're talking and maybe it'll come to me as we're we're talking but one thing i was curious about is you know those decades of musical film 
that that has existed and you've been exposed to from like the Busby Berkeley musicals or even the jazz scener, the first talkie to today. Did you notice a particular decade that like was represented most on your list in musicals, like a particular period, maybe? You know, I'm really sad. I kind of forgot to include Busby Berkeley, but I do have one or two of his films that I really love. So going forward, knowing that, it looks like my list is kind of all over the place. As per usual for you. As per usual (laughs) with my whole entire life and everything in it. So it it looks like a variety for me. How about you? It is definitely a variety for me. I'm looking at the decades that are represented most, you know, more frequently, like maybe two or three movies of a particular decade. And really, that's off, uh, offhandedly the the aughts, interestingly enough, are represented about three different times, and I think it's sporadic from there. I don't even think there's two '90s films or two '80s films per se. Uh, there's definitely two '70s films though, and two '50s films. So anyway, it's it, it is very sporadic for sure. Mm-hmm. The other thing I was going to ask you, I just remembered. Were there any musicals that you wished you had gotten to see and oh, taken into consideration? Oh, for heaven's sakes, yeah. So here's the thing with musicals. They're like two to two and a half hours long, all oh. of them. And I really wanted to watch Chirac, and I wanted to watch, again, I wanted to watch Sweet Charity. Mm. Just to, you know, because that was part of my musical, my dance recital. Mm-hmm. And we danced to uh, Rhythm of Life which is used in a couple commercials actually around internationally. Uh-huh. And I really wanted to watch that, but it just, it just did not happen. It's been a crazy month. So there are four musicals that come up most regularly that are my biggest blind spots. First is 1936's Showboat with Paul Robeson. Hmm. Never seen it, never been available whenever I have an opportunity to see it in terms of a streaming service. Bob Fosse, big blind spot. So I've never seen Sweet Charity. Cabaret and all that jazz were also big blind spots uh, for me. I did catch up with Cabaret. We'll find out if that makes my list. And also Hedwig and the Angry Inch from the 2000s. That one comes up a lot. Never get to catch up with it whenever I have an opportunity. I guess other... Movies that qualify are like Anna and the Apocalypse. Right. I yeah. forgot about that one. Fascinating. Do you need five minutes? No. Since you forgot about no. Busby Berkeley, you forgot about Anna and the Apocalypse. Any others that you forgot about? You need to quickly we'll redo just, your list. We'll just have to freaking see. Because <laughs> I, I'm done at this point. Oh, wow. <laughs> done with the musicals. All right. Well. Why do you always want to throw me under the bus? Hey, you did. You threw yourself there. For heaven's sakes, I'm just ready to get going. All right, so let's get going with your 12th favorite musical of all time. My 12th favorite musical is Grease from 1978 with Olivia Newton-John and John Travolta. And, you know, this is a movie that I grew up... This is a musical I grew up watching, whether it was, you know, the high school was putting it on or the theater production was putting it on or the movie uh good girl sandy olsen and greaser danny zuko 
fell in love over the summer. When they unexpectedly discover they're now in the same high school, will they be able to rekindle their romance? This is a really fun film. It's also a little crazy. Uh, this also has Stalker Channing, who I am a huge fan of. The, uh, she was Rizzo. Yeah. And Stalker Channing is one of the witches from Practical Magic, and she's the wife in West Wing. And, yep. The first um, lady. I freaking love her. Mm-hmm. But anyway, I think my favorite is Grease Lightning. Mm-hmm. That's um, a good one. Yeah, that's probably a favorite. Uh, th- that I grew up with that film as well. Love that film. It's one of those where when you get older, you're like, holy shit, the lyrics in this movie are so suggestive. <laughs> They're so risky. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I did not quite make my list. was just outside of it, however. My 12th favorite is... La La Land from 2016. We're just going to get this one out of the way. If I had seen it again, maybe I'd have stronger feelings and it'd be higher on my list. But as is, it, it, I definitely have stronger feelings than other musicals. I had to narrow down my list from 19 absolute favorite musicals to 12. It was actually kind of hard for me to do that. But So La La Land uh, came out above the other six or seven movies uh, because of the choreography because of the songs and because of the story all these elements i think are really important and not all of my films on my list have all those elements come together perfectly but Mm -hmm. la la land definitely does i know there's a couple people we know who definitely feel otherwise but i i you know it's it's one of those movies where if you're a broadway snob who expects people to be trained vocally or dance wise choreography in a certain way you know maybe this is not for you but i know that emma stone and ryan gosling work their ass off emma stone does outshine ryan gosling a little bit in this movie i think a lot of people love damien chazelle's whiplash i love la la land Mm. Mm. my number 11 is the sound of music Starring Julia Andrews and Christopher Plummer. For those of you who are hiding under a rock and don't know what this movie is about. It's about <laughs> Julia, uh, Julia leaving the Austrian cov- convent to become a governess to the children of a naval officer widower. There are, I think there's seven children. I am forgetting right now. There's plenty. There's there are so many plenty. to go around. Yeah. So many. And the ages range between, 50, I believe, 15 going on 16. Haha, uh-huh, see what I did. Uh, all the way to about age four or five. Mm. And there is a lot of fun to be had in this film. Mm-hmm. And even though it's taking place during the Nazis occupying Austria, it, there's still lightheartedness to it. There's still the embracing of being in the present with the children. And that's really beautiful. I think my favorite song in this film ranges between do re mi and the lonely goat herd because it's this little puppet show that the kids and judah andrews uh put on together and it's just super fun and super catchy and fun with voices i used to play do re mi a lot on piano growing up from that movie and and probably a couple others too but it's it's just such a great song to introduce youngins to. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I, I think that when I was all pairing my host children, 
we would listen to the Sound of Music soundtrack a lot. And eventually, I think a year after this, uh, my host mom decided that, okay, you guys can watch the film now. And it was so enjoyable for them because they knew the songs already. Awesome. My 11th favorite musical of all time is from 2018. It is Anna and the Apocalypse. I've talked a lot about this movie before, kind of championing it because I don't think it's that well known. But it's like if you take a zombie apocalypse, add Christmas movie, add teen movie, add comedy, and throw in musical, put it all in a blender, you get Anna and the Apocalypse. And I think, for the most part, the film really works, and it has some solid songs. Ella Hunt stars as the titular Anna, as well as Sarah Swire, Malcolm Cumming, Mary Lou Sue, Ben Wiggins, and the list goes on. These are not well-known cast members, I don't think. Not that popular. And if I were to pick a favorite song from it, it would probably be Hollywood Ending. That's the most musical of songs in this with great choreography and a lunchroom and stuff. Love that movie. Annie and the Apocalypse, my 11th favorite musical of all time. Love how you're constantly saying of all time. Well, because it is. It's all, all it's time. Not all time for me. This is like here's where I am right now. <laughs> really? Yeah. Well, it doesn't. So it doesn't encompass all time. No. So my number ten is from t- 2002, Chicago. Really? Yeah. Huh. Two death row murderesses. Quite fun. Maybe that's why I'm attracted to it. Yeah. Develop a fierce rivalry while competing for publicity, celebrity, and a sleazy lawyer's attention. That sleazy lawyer just so happens to be Richard Gere. And the two murderesses are Renee Zellweger and Catherine Zeta-Jones. Mm. I love the cinematography, especially. And I like seeing Renee Zellweger and Catherine Zeta-Jones together. I'm like, what a combo. Hmm. Like, I didn't think that that was going to happen ever. And... You know, it, it happened during my obsession with musicals. Oh, so, you know, there's a little bit of that gotcha. sprinkled in there. And I think my favorite song is probably All That Jazz. Okay. Right on. I, I remember, uh, what's his name? John C. Riley being in that yes, film. Yes. And yeah. he's one of the only things that I remember about it. Uh, he had a nice musical number. Was it Cellophane Man or something like that? Yeah, something like that. Mm. Anyway, excellent. So my 10th favorite musical is going back in time a lot further. 1942's Yankee Doodle Dandy. I don't think people really talk about this movie enough. This is by Michael Curtiz, who would go on, or maybe even the same year, had released uh, Casablanca, Mm -hmm. if I'm not mistaken. Stars James Cagney, Joan Leslie, Walter Houston, uh, George Tobias, and several others. Francis Lanford. This is about the life of the renowned musical composer, playwright, actor, dancer, and singer George M. Cohan. One of my favorite biopics. I'm pretty sure it had to have come up during that list as well. You know, most people know James Cagney for his gangster movies, um, but... He was quite the showman. He he knew 
I think he, before it was a screen star, he was a stage uh, song and dance man. And he definitely gets that opportunity here. And he's fantastic. I, I've always loved Yankee Doodle Dandy. And uh, I highly recommend checking it out if you can find it. It's my 10th favorite musical. My next one is Little Shop of Horrors from 1986. A nerdy florist finds his chance for success and romance with the help of a giant man-eating plant who demands to be fed. What could possibly, possibly go wrong? (laughs) This stars Rick Moranis, one of my favorite actors. It is available to stream on HBO Max. And I, you know, I don't really have a favorite song, but I just love the weirdness of all of it. It also has uh, Steve Martin in there. Uh-huh. Uh, a lot of people. A favorite. Yeah, there's a lot of people in there. And I, my exposure to this film was when I was, I don't know, maybe eight. I had gone to a birthday party with a bunch of screaming girls. Yay. And they were about to play this movie. And I only saw the first little bit of it. And then my mom picked me up and we had to go. And I never got to... I never remembered the name of this film until I watched it with you many, many years later. Really? And finally got to scratch that itch. Wow. I did not know that. Uh, Very cool. So my ninth favorite musical is actually a movie that is not available to stream anywhere at all, period. Shockingly enough. It is 1956's The Keen and I... By Walter Lane, starring Yul Brynner and Deborah Carr, and even Rita Marino's in it, a widow accepts a job as a live-in governess to the Keen of Siam's children. Uh, this film is is iconic. You know, it, especially Yul Brynner in it. I, I think he shaved his head for this film and kept it that way the rest of his life because he liked it so much and audiences liked it so much i think he was considered quite sexy with that clean shaved head of his Uh, deborah carr is great in this film as well uh the only thing that like keeps the film from being higher on my list is there is this like forbidden love subplot that i think doesn't quite work as well as the rest of the film it's probably about 15 minutes of screen time in the movie or so that the movie could have probably done without and just kind of focused on this story of this baroness you know this english baroness in in what was called siam at the time and and teaching and all and the the struggles or the conflict with the the leader of that country favorite song getting to know you maybe there's there's a lot of really good songs yeah. in this they're the only rogers and hammerstein film i actually truly love uh, sound of music is a really good one and it's 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 up there i have issues with sound of music as well Blas- blasphemous as it may be for some people but uh I, i've always loved this one even more and i'm looking through the songs and i think maybe getting to know you is my favorite song shall we dance is a great one too mm. anyway keen and i 1956 i think that was my grand's favorite song noise my next one is from 2007 it is once cool this stars glenn hansart and marketa erglova i'm pretty sure i'm 
butchering that name. No, so you did sorry. beautiful. You did beautiful. That's uh, perfect. <laughs> this is a modern day musical about a busker and an immigrant and their eventful week in Dublin as they write, rehearse and record songs that tell their love story. I just love this film. It was one of the first films you and I watched. Really? Like separately, I think. Oh, oh, okay. Like I was in Seattle, you were in Olympia. Uh-huh. And we watched, you know, hit play at the same time. This was before this whole stream party thing was a thing. Uh-huh. And I just really loved it. I fell in love with the soundtrack. I fell in love with the characters. It's one of those movies that is, is a little heartbreaking for me personally, but also understandable with the way it ends. And I think my favorite song from this is Falling Slowly. Oh, of course. Yeah, that, that was a huge hit, that song. Excellent. My eighth favorite musical of all time is 2004's Bride and Prejudice. I'm just bringing out all the lesser known musicals for people to get exposed to here. Directed by Grunda Chada. This is essentially a adaptation of Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice with an Indian setting and flavor to it. Which I absolutely love. It's absolutely intoxicating. It's gorgeous. The colors, the costume design, the production design, the choreography, the cast, everything about it is just absolutely beautiful and fun. Speaking of beautiful, the cast includes Arishira Rai. Apologize. Again, speaking of uh, pronunciation. names. Yeah. Martin yeah. Henderson, Anupam Kerr, Naveen Andrews, Namrata, uh, Shirod Kar and Daniel Gillies. Oh, and Alexis Bledel uh, makes an appearance too. Hmm. I've always really loved this film. I love the soundtrack. Yes, No Life Without Wife is <laughs> a fun film, absolutely. And it, it might be my favorite song on that soundtrack. Uh, you know, there's a love song, Take Me to Love, which is kind of uh, kind of cool, but I think No Life Without Life is, oh, Marriage Has Come to Town is, is up Yeah, there. that one's really good. Yeah. So anyway, Bride and Prejudice, if you haven't seen it, I definitely recommend checking that out if you can. What is your seventh favorite? My number seven is In the Heights. We've said a lot about this film. Oh. Uh, my favorite song is 96,000. Excellent. It's a great performance. Excellent. And that is available on HBO Max or yes, the theater, actually. <laughs> Go to the theater. Yeah, for reals. My seventh favorite is a movie I recently wrote about. Available on Disney Plus. It is Bedknobs and Broomsticks from 1971. You can read my thoughts, my review of this film on the GibsonReview.com. In the Disney Through the Years, the 70s live action movies feature. So, but I will say that I grew up with this film and I always enjoyed this film. I always enjoyed the climactic battle mm. as a kid, as a young boy. That was very appealing, that climactic battle. And it is still kind of badass in a way for Disney to do. I get a, a little bit of a, just a twinge of a thrill that I get in more modern films. Angela Lansbury leads the film. I love David Tomlinson. Mm. He's in it. He's a bit of a, a, not a shyster. What do you call? He's a bit of a scam artist. Uh, and mm. he's, 
delightful. <laughs> Most people think of the animated sequence in this film, and that is fun as well. But yeah, more of my thoughts are on thegibsonreview.com. Check that out. That is Bedknobs and Broomsticks, 1971 on Disney+. Plus. My number six is probably the shortest musical you will watch. It is The Muppet Christmas Carol from 1992. It's available on Disney mm. Streaming. This stars Kermit the Frog, Miss Piggy, and Michael Caine. The Muppet characters tell their version of the classic tale of an old and bitter miser's redemption on Christmas Eve. I absolutely love this film. It was one of my mine and my brother's favorite Christmas films growing up because it's just so kooky and crazy and, you know, I just love it. And what else can I say? Uh, I think my favorite song is There's Magic in the Air This Evening, Magic Everywhere. I think it's like I'm battling on its name, but I think it's like there's only one more day left till Christmas, I think is what it's called. Gotcha. So great. You just remind me, I forgot to mention my favorite song from Ben Knobs and Broomsticks, Portobello Road. It's probably Oh, it. interesting. Yeah. Uh, Little Shop of Horrors uh, is my sixth favorite musical of all time, 1986. There was a period in my childhood when I really did not like two genres of film, westerns and musicals. Mm. Uh, I think the musical part really came from being just totally immersed in the Rodgers and Hammerstein yeah. era, the 50s era of musicals. And just being like, it's it's a genre that can get tiresome at some point in your life. I think you'll feel that. And then you'll come back. And the oddities like Little Shop of Horrors is really what helped me realize, okay, it's not a genre I absolutely hate and kind of slowly kind of got me back into that film. I think like Blues Brothers was another one. And, 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 you know, really these kind of quirkier, different less traditional musicals was what helped rope me back in. You talked about Little Shop of Horrors, what it's about already. It does have an incredible cast. I think it was directed by Frank Oz, who is the voice of Yoda. He was also instrumental in the Muppets. You mentioned the Muppets earlier. Muppets did not come up on my list. Uh, I will spoil that for you. But this film, (laughs) I've always loved. I mean, the, the opening number downtown is just like, just so perfect such a great song it is definitely one of my favorite the fact that you have oh what's his name levi stubbs i think from the four tops as the voice of audrey too Hmm. lends a lot to this motown flavor of the of the uh performances and the story uh it's a funny film it's a a bit wacky it has a a bit of a sci-fi horror edge to it so it's it is a delight for those who are looking for something just a little left of center, a little bit untraditional. So I love Little Shop of Horrors from 1986. And yes, it is on HBO Max. My next one is Bedknobs and Broomsticks, just a little bit away from your placing of Bedknobs and Broomsticks. Very cool. 1971. This is a two hour film. I feel like it's important to mention that. Uh, you know, you've done a great job explaining it, but how I see it is it is one of my favorite actresses from Murder, She Wrote, Angela Lansbury, as a witch. Going through her practices and teaching, uh, learning how to become a witch is very exciting in this film. Uh, and just not only being a witch with the cauldron and the broomstick, but also being a witch in that she's not following social norms of 
how women should be according to society. She has opted not to have a family, but circumstances change when it's the war and children are shipped away from, well, you know, moved away from the city in London and sent to live with others across the country. I love the shenanigans that everybody gets into with this film. And I, you know, you've said a lot about it. So I'm just going to go ahead and say my favorite song. My favorite song is The Briny Sea. So my fifth favorite musical is one of yours. We're starting to get into overlap territory here. (laughs) And uh, unlike the past two picks, it's not available to stream. It is once from 2007. One of my favorite songbooks of any musical of all time in terms of absolutely loving every single song on it. So what's interesting is this is directed by John Carney, and he did a couple other movies afterwards, Begin Again and Scene Street. Love Scene Street, not a musical, but love it. And I don't think, though, that those two movies really quite measure up to Once. What's interesting about Once is John Carney did something a little bit different with the movie musical in that you actually have two characters who are creating music together and expressing their feelings and internal um, internal monologues, so to speak, through song, the songs that they are writing. And they are great, great songs. It's so hard for me to pick a favorite because there's so many good ones leave if you want me lies gold when (laughs) your mind's made up well i mean (laughs) the hill's probably the one song it's marketa song it's the one song that's probably the weakest one for me but but those other ones i mentioned are so powerful and so great i love it so much so that's once from 2007 that is my fifth favorite musical my number four probably of all time unless something really crazy comes along in the next decade is singing in the rain that's my number four as well oh well great yeah okay i I had to adjust it it was higher but it, it got moved to number four well super how about i say who's in it and you talk about the the synopsis Okay. Okay. We'll do. Great. So it's starring Gene Kelly, like the god of dancing. Donald O'Connor, Debbie Reynolds, and Gene Hagen, just to name a few. Uh, Why don't you tell us about what it is? So it essentially depicts like the turning point in film from silent to talky. And they're trying to make this one actress who is a silent film star work in a talky film. And it's just one of those movies about movies with, that has got some of the greatest song and dance numbers ever put to film. Which, you know, it's got Gene Kelly, who's one of the greatest song and dance men ever in film. So it's going to. What, what, what did you love about this? Why did this make your list? I love this film because, you know, there's a reason this particular actress is a star in the silent movies, because as soon as she talks, it's like nobody wants to hear that. I mean, I like it. I think it's fun. I love the relationship between the three of them, Gene Kelly, 
Debbie Reynolds and Donald O'Connor. Yes. I, I think there's a lot of fun in mm. this film. They're mm. really goofy yep. um, and serious at the same time because they're like, oh, our industry's changing and can we keep up? Which is always something that you can relate to if you're a creative, right? There's always some sort of change that's happening. Can I keep up with it? And I love the dance numbers. I love the songs. I think my favorite song, oh man, it's so hard. Mm. But I love Good Morning and I also love Make Him Laugh. Yeah. It's just so good. Yeah. Okay. So I will note that Gene Hagen, who plays the, the silent film star, with the annoying voice. She actually went on to star in several Disney movies too that I've been writing about. Worth uh, worth noting there. Uh, the thing about this film that I think is so important to not underappreciate is the precision of the choreography yes. and the performances in the songs. I mean, they worked their asses off and it's so perfect I mean, this is also a movie where Gene Kelly did one of his most iconic and famous performances while suffering from the flu. And you wouldn't know that watching wow. him on here. I agree with you. It's tough to pick a favorite song. The first two I thought of actually was Good Morning and Make Him Laugh. I would say <laughs> performance wise, Make Him Laugh. Hands down. So good. All the timing. Oh, it's so the great. physical comedy in this film is so great. Oh, my God. It's amazing. But song-wise, possibly Good Morning. Although the, the precision in that choreography, too, is is up there as well. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, Singing in the Rain is definitely a put a smile on your face kind of song, as is the movie overall. It's definitely a great friend film. Yes. Oh, and if we didn't mention... Uh, this 1952 movie is available on HBO Max. Mm -hmm. So, okay, I'm going to shut up about it. <laughs> What's your third favorite musical? We could talk all the time about it, really. Uh, my third is Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory from 1971. Really? Is no it yours? Kidding. No? No. Okay. It's one I considered. I oh. never would have thought it would be so high on your list. God, I love this film. And I, I especially love Gene Wilder. Like, Mm-hmm. He's just so fabulous. I could watch him all day. For those of you who don't know, this is an adaption of Roald Dahl's book, mm -hmm. Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. And this is about a, a boy from a poor family scraping together, making family the priority. You know, all the grandparents live with them. Just really putting family first. Mm -hmm. Well, he seeks to be part of this competition that Willy Wonka is having, mm -hmm. where there are five golden tickets in chocolate bars. And uh, if you get this golden ticket, you get to come to a tour at his factory. And the reason it's so special is because this factory has never been open to the public. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, that's right. I yeah. think it was maybe in the beginning, then something happened and he closed it all up. Mm. And he... He's a bit hired, grouchy. <laughs> he hired immigrants to help instead. Yeah, right. Uh, instead of the 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 locals, yeah. you know. So I don't know if he owes extra taxes or something. I'd love to know the logistics of this this business decision. Anyway, such great performances, such great stories. Because of course, each kid that's selected to come to this tour represents something different. You know, from greed 
to consumerism uh yeah consumerism mm. and then uh gluttony yeah it's it's all super fantastic and even charlie represents something you know with like okay i make mistakes but you know how are you redeemed from those at the end uh i think you know and just the creativity of it i i could go on about this film but my favorite song is probably it's kind of between two songs. Uh, I love the Candyman, but I I also love I've Got a Golden Ticket and mm. the how that evolves through the movie. But then Pure Imagination yeah. by by Gene Wilder is just so sweet and so you know he's taking this time to appreciate the children that have come to his factory before they reveal their true colors. Mm. Um, so I just I love that and honestly I know. I Want It Now is, you know, Veruca Salt, the spoiled brat, but it was a great performance. All right. Very cool. So my third favorite musical is 1971's Fiddler on the Roof from uh, that's available on Netflix and Amazon Prime. Milos Foreman, I believe, directed this film. I God, I feel like I've talked about this movie on the podcast before and just gushed about it. Topol is extraordinary as Tevya. It, it's mm, there's so much I absolutely adore about this film, and it's it's such. That's the thing about a top three film, right? If it's if it's if you have so much that you could gush about it and and talk endlessly about it it's got to be a top three film for you right and and uh that's definitely the case here i'm at the risk of repeating myself of all the things i've talked about about the themes of from the children and the parent um you know letting go and traditions the songbook on this film is pretty great, too. I, all, almost every single song is a favorite of mine. I mean, I, I love tradition. Uh, Sunrise, Sunset is great. Matchmaker is great. There's, there's, oh. Everything so you are mentioning, just the word, gets the tune going in my head. And I've only listened to the soundtrack a few times and watched the movie twice in my life. This is one of the only musicals where i actually own the soundtrack to it actually is that true of my top it's true of my top three for sure and and i mentioned bride and prejudice as well it's one of those oh no norman jewison i apologize norman jewison directed fiddler on the roof if i were a rich man come on that right? was the the song that my brother danced to as tavia and the the audience just went insane and oh. it wasn't even the real tevia but they went insane you oh. know? just shows the the magnificence of that musical miracle of miracles to life do you love me that's such a beautiful song on a tevka oh love 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 fiddler <laughs> on the roof uh it's very hard for a musical to top it for me yeah so Let's talk about your top two favorite musicals. Though. Well, even though this movie didn't make my list, I will say... You didn't? It, it didn't make the list. Are um, you mad? <laughs> what are you, South African? <laughs> um, if I were a rich man, I sing 
all the time mm-hmm. and I change the words as well. No, I change tradition. I change tradition. Oh, okay. Uh, where I'm like, the dinner, the dinner. And I, you know, every time I just do a little bit, my, our, you know, our son just gets so horribly mad at me because then it's stuck in his head for oh, two yeah. weeks. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. it'll just get out of his head and then he's with us again. And it's like, ah, oh, crap, Shanna. <laughs> you know? Yeah, very anyway. catchy songs. All right. So what's your second favorite musical? My second favorite is Bride and Prejudice. And you've spoken a lot about this, but I love this film. I saw this film in the theater. I thought it was just so spectacular on the big screen with all those colors, the fantastic close-ups and performances and the way that uh, Garinda Chada plays with the story. I was like, this is way better than, you know, all the British versions of this fucking film. Um, I know Garinda Chada is British, but having this Bollywood twist on it is fantastic why not and i think my favorite song is definitely no life without wife Mm -hmm. i mean we watched this film on our visit to south africa together Mm -hmm. and we were singing we were singing it in the beach waves you know as we were swimming in the sea so it's a really fantastic song i love the performances love the story all the actors and actresses what a great production yeah, it is very enchanting. Oh, Enchanted. That's a movie I didn't think about. That that That's a contender. Uh, it's very enchanting, uh, especially in, enchanting to Indian culture, too. Love that film, as I, I said before. My second favorite musical of all time is Mary Poppins. I wrote about this recently also on the blog and GibsonReview.com. 1964 film available on Disney Plus. This is definitely one of those live under a rock if you haven't seen it (laughs) kind of movies. I think, okay, so everyone knows about the cast. Julie Andrews, Dick Van Dyke, David Tomlinson, Glynis Johns, Hermione Badley. I think one thing that people don't realize is Elsa Lanchester stars briefly in this film. Elsa Lanchester is most famous for being the bride of Frankenstein in the 30s. Oh, yes. Yes, she's Katie Nana. Yes. And she went on in her later years to star in several Disney movies. This might have been the first one, if I'm remembering correctly. But she's awesome. What I want to give some attention to is the director. Nobody ever talks about the director of Mary Poppins. They talk about everything else. But... (laughs) the guy who actually made the film happen. That is Robert Stevenson. Now, this guy, he directed 19 films for Disney. Most of them are the ones that you know. He only made a few duds. But this is the guy who basically, like, he, he directed most of the, the live-action Disney films for about 20 years. You know, he's the one who did Absent Minded Professor. He's the one who did... Uh, Old Yeller, he did uh, Blackbeard's Ghost, The Love Bug, Ben Knobs and Broomsticks, Mary Poppins, The Shaggy DA. These are all probably some of the most memorable Disney films ever made of a particular era, particularly the live action films, right? And he never gets credit for it. So I want to give him credit where credit is long overdue. Major props to Robert Stevenson. In terms of Mary Poppins itself, the musical, the music, it, this is also another one that I own the soundtrack to. 
right? And it is another one that's hard to choose a song from. But I think maybe Step in Time is it. I mean, it's like the longest for yeah. sure, right? It's upwards of yeah. 10 minutes. It's a, it's In terms of a, a choreographed performance, it's definitely the highlight of the film, right? Mm-hmm. People love supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. You can't say that word fast. You can't say that word fast. Look at you. Yeah, you'll trip over all the vowels or all the syllables. Um, people love that. That's fantastic. That's fun. But Step in Time, I think, is really where it's at. What uh, what about you? What's what's your favorite musical of all time? We finally ended the reached the end here. What could it possibly be? It's Mary Poppins. It's my number one. All right. So, what's your thoughts on the film? <laughs> well, this is a film that is a classic, and that will have you interpreting it differently from when you're a child mm. to when you're an adult yep. and different phases of your adulthood. Yep. Meaning like, you know, okay, when you're a teenager, you're going to see it one way. When you're in your early 20s, you'll see it one way after college. And your next milestone will be parenthood, whether you are directly a parent or indirectly. Mm-hmm. This story is so beautiful Uh, You know, at first, when you're a kid, you're like, this is so fun. A nanny that has adventures with you. How fantastic. And as you get older, you start to realize, oh, hang on a second, Mary Poppins. Is this just imagination gone crazy that you're Mm. feeding? You're not really going to these places. And as you get older, you're like, hang on a second. Mr. Banks. Oh, man. Sacrifice sacrifices that you make as a father as a oh, parent oh man and i'm totally getting mm-hmm. and i'm t- and i'm totally getting choked up just thinking about it but really this is a story about parents trying to do the right thing for their kids and the other parental figures that come into a child's life trying to do right by them too whether that means directly helping them fuel their imagination and see the fun in life or helping the father see that you will not have these children forever every day that goes by is different and it will change Um, and it's best to just stay present with them and give them that time you touched on something that I think is greatly overlooked in this film, typically. And I've talked about it with you at great length off mic. And we have cried about it as we yes. have talked about it. Yes. If I may, just really briefly, there's a song called A Man Has Dreams. It happens after the step in time sequence and is a beautifully directed, even even right before, it's a beautifully directed sequence between Bert and and David Tomlinson's father character, where David Tomlinson's character is like, oh, you know, he's in a in a huff about like, oh, this is all Mary Poppins' fault and stuff. And and Bert, he we see him kind of turned away from David Tomlinson's character, but also like a little bit towards us, where we see him kind of have a an amused smile, but he he <laughs> says things that are both playing into what David Tomlinson is saying, but also nudging him 
towards the right direction. It's it's really Bert who who helps yeah. you know get get uh, the father character all the way to where he needs to be, right? Mm-hmm. You know, he says, "Oh, the nerve of her. You're such a busy man to get to to expect you to spend time with your kids and stuff." You know, uh, just uh, can't a little believe bit of, it, right? A little bit of reverse psychology there. <laughs> right. And he but he plays Dick Van Dyke needs credit. He plays it so beautifully, mm. so perfectly. Mm-hmm. And this song, A Man Has Dreams, comes from that sequence that leads uh, David Tomlinson's father to recognize his failures and his flaws and the, the things that have been happening in front of him that he's just completely been oblivious to. It is so beautiful. I, and it's it really... Brain helps bring the film home. I love it so much. Anyway, enough about your favorite movie <laughs> and yeah, my second so favorite. It's hard for me to pick a song because each and every song is so significant to the story mm. and significant to the characters and what they're going through. I mean, as you get older, you start listening to the Sister Suffragette song yeah. and just that line of, though we adore them individually we agree that as a group they're rather stupid um and it's a song about sister suffragettes but it's also about how men are driving them crazy you well know? yeah 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 uh, pressing them yeah yeah and it's you know we've got a spoonful of sugar i mean what person in the nanny industry doesn't use that song <laughs> and mm. love that song and supercalifragilisticexpialidocious is fantastic uh, you always tell me to enunciate. Well, I just rocked that one. Yes. So there you go. Just try saying it faster, though. <laughs> and then, you know, Step in Time is great. And Chimchuri is really good, too, because that's where Bert is with the kids. And he's helping the kids see their father's side of things. Yes. That's so right, yeah. every single song is super freaking significant. Yeah. All right. With that, my favorite musical. Of all time. Oh, what could it be? Now, okay. Granted, maybe I can't, say, I don't have as much to say about it. I can't carry on as much as these other couple movies, but I love it. It's 2001's Moulin Rouge by Boz Lerman. I think Boz Lerman's greatest film is uh, the idea of taking a period story which is like this turn of the century, I think it's Paris. Yeah, ter- turn of yeah. the century Paris during the Bohemian movement and stuff. And injecting modern day pop songs into it from the character's mouth. These songs being reinterpreted in creative ways is spectacular 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 i see what you did there (laughs) i cannot believe i forgot this film this film totally would have made the list and i just didn't see it in my draft list wow yeah this would have made my list wow but please do carry on (laughs) yeah no uh i was trying to get the cast list up i think i i made it go away because there's certain players in this that need attention just as much as ewan mcgregor and Nicole Kidman get because they have their own performances or contribute greatly to those performances, those song pieces. We have Jacek Komen as the unconscious Argentinian 
who does a version of Roxanne. What a great character. Great character, tremendous voice, great performance. That that Roxanne blows the original Roxanne out of the water for me. I'm sorry, police fans. I love that song, but holy hell, what this what this interpretation of it does is fantastic. The Show Must Go On by Queen is sung by Jim Broadbent with such power. I love that sequence as well. The choreography, the set design, the costume design, everything about this film is fantastic. John Leguizamo is in this film. Richard Roxburgh, Richard Roxburgh is in it as well. This is another movie where I own the soundtrack. It's actually two separate soundtracks. I kind of feel like they botched the soundtrack production a little bit because you have a mix between like the movie version and not, and there's other versions of the songs in there. But uh, Children of the Revolution is great, as well as the well, the opening opening montage. Sm- Come on, you know it's got that com- like a piece of Smells Like Teen Spirit in there. And yeah, the medley. Yeah, like for someone like me who couldn't um, handle that kind of music in its original form when i heard it like that i was like oh my god i love this song what a great song yeah you know so it's great how it exposes you to different things that you might not have been able to be exposed to in the first place fair enough uh, one day i'll fly away yeah is a powerful and gorgeous song written by elton john and uh well it, 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 written by will jennings and joe sample with your song mixed in there, of course, by Elton John and Bernie Taupin. Um, Come What May. I didn't know that that was an original song for the longest time, but that is a great song. I don't think that was nominated for Best Song of the Year. If it is, it should have won. It's a great song. Come What May, come on. Anyway, I love Moulin Rouge. I love its energy. I love everything that it brings to the table it's it's lightning in a bottle it's fantastic i love it and unfortunately you have to hunt for it right now i think you can rent it maybe on amazon but that was my favorite musical of all time (laughs) those are your favorite musicals of all time listeners what are your favorite musicals of all time feel free to email us at the gibson review at gmail.com shanna we must come to an end at this point (laughs) oh it's as long as a musical yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So you can find me on Instagram at Shanna underscore Paxton underscore photography and on flick chart spellbinding A. Jeff, where are the many places that people could find you? Well, principally the GibsonReview.com, right? As I've referenced many times in this episode, that's where you're going to find other future features that I've talked about, like Disney through the years this is where you're going to find past episodes of the movie lovers. You know, we've done our, our top 10 lists. Uh, I've done favorites lists on there. So many things, social media. I'm on Facebook slash the Gibson review, but also Instagram, the Gibson 99. I'm much more active on Instagram there. And uh, I've talked about in the past, how we do story bracket polls, Uh, Soon there's going to be a musical one, and that is going to be a big one. So keep an eye out for that one. That is probably going to be a 64 movie bracket poll 
So uh, you don't want to miss out on that. I've also kind of taken like uh, taken the temperature a little bit on asking people like their favorite Disney movies as each article comes out. Uh, you might find one there about the 80s movies soon. Next time on The Movie Lovers, we're, we have reached the halfway point of the year. And we have a little bit of a dead period here in terms of what's coming out. So we're going to talk about the year so far. Talk about what sort of trends or biggest box office hits there have been this year. And what our picks are for the best and worst of the year at this point. And then we're going to, in film faves, I think we decided we're going to count down our 12 favorite double feature ideas. So it'll be really interesting. We're looking at not necessarily like sequels and part of franchises. No, no. This is a, a me idea. This okay. is something that, you know, we've, we have practiced since we got together was thinking of different ways to put different films together. Something like all the president's men and spotlight because it fits a certain theme. Uh-huh. And then another example would maybe be book smart and mean girls. Yeah, so we'll be talking about that. The, the, they're basically built around theme or character similarities. And that'll be interesting. That'll be a different one for us. Look for it right after the holiday weekend on Tuesday, July 6th. Until then, keep loving the movies. This is Jeff and Shanna saying bye bye